Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Paul Cronin, the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BDG. Black Dragon Gold owns 100% of the Salave Gold Project in the Asturias region of Spain through its wholly owned subsidiary EMC. Salave is a technically robust project situated in a highly prospective region and recognized as one of the largest underdeveloped gold projects in Europe. Paul, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time. Thanks, Ellis. Happy to be here. And one of the reasons we haven't spoken in a while is you wanted to wait until you had some drill results from the Salave project, and you do now, don't you? Yeah, we got those through last week, just after Easter, and very, very pleased. You know, we announced back in late January, I think it was, that we were going to start a six-hole program designed really to look at the geometry of some of these higher-grade structures that we see around the sort of 250 to 350-meter level below surface. And the first two holes are in, and we're delighted with the results results, not only in terms of the grade, you know, we had some stellar, absolutely stellar intercepts there that were very thick. We've got some as high as sort of nearly seven meters at 30 grams a ton, 17 meters at 17 grams a ton, 10 meters at 13 grams a ton. I mean, these are world scale gold grades. But what it showed us overall was that a few things. It showed us that way all of the drilling work that had been done on this project ever since the 1970s is probably accurate and we can rely on it, which is great for mine planning but also it showed us that this structure that all the previous geological interpretation said was vertical is actually not it is indeed subvertical, and we believe that that shows that this deposit is in fact open at depth into the northwest and also to the southeast which is not something that we had expected so we've been delighted with the results so far we are still drilling we'll be drilling for about another three hours i think from now we've got of the the four remaining holes to a complete and they're in the lab being uh, analyzed at the moment and we've got another two that are just being finished off and then we'll sit down we'll log and we'll sample and we'll cut the core and we'll send that off to the lab as well for for test work but having viewed the core from the next two holes i was delighted with both the thickness and the look of those intercepts which clearly showed that we are you know we're drilling through those sulfide zones and we're getting very nice thick intercepts there at depth and of course the one thing that we really want to explore now that we understand this better that we understand that this is not really just discrete lenses of high-grade mineralization, but rather a big sort of blob of high-grade mineralization at depth. Can we use more bulk mining methods to actually access this and reduce our costs? So we've got to walk before we run. Firstly, we're going to finish this drilling, we'll get the results in, and we'll put out an updated mineral resource estimate, both 43-101 and JOR compliant resource estimate. And then from that, we'll end up doing another preliminary economic assessment where we'll evaluate you know, new possibilities for both the mining plus also the processing of that work because we have done quite a lot of metallurgical test work which indicates that there are some, I wouldn't say they're new techniques, but they're techniques that seem to give a much higher gold recovery for a much lower energy usage on this deposit. We're pretty excited by the results we're seeing. Well, you're using fairly advanced technology, but uh, given that, are the results that you're seeing beyond what you expected or are they 
right where you thought they might be? I think they're broadly in line with the interpretation, but the zones are thicker and they go deeper than what we expected, which is what we were hoping for, but a little different to the previous geologic interpretations of the deposit. When we see the results of these next two holes, which will be coming out in the next few weeks, I think that will all start putting the whole picture together. And what we'll then do is be able to go back and actually have a look at this whole deposit, particularly those high-grade areas, and say, actually, you know, this is what's actually happening here. This is what's controlling it. And from that perspective, and coming up with a much more defined view what is controlling this deposit, where this high-grade mineralisation is coming from, will mean that we can basically plan future exploration programs that will really focus on those discrete areas where we hope to basically extend the resource and add some more ounces to the deposit. So you will wait a couple of weeks before you develop your exploration plan going forward because you don't know exactly what it's going to be. You have a general idea, but you need more data before you proceed. That's right. So we've obviously got a lot of drilling currently in the in the Salave deposit area as it currently stands. There's over 65,000 metres of drilling that's been done there in addition to what we're doing now. What we really don't understand and what we want to now form our views on is does this deposit continue to the northwest and the southeast? And if it does, why does it? Now, we have some theories about the contact zones between the granodiorites, but we want to basically do some surface geophysics, which is very easy and very cheap to do, and look for those gravity and those geomagnetic signatures that might give us a better indication of where to do that next round of drilling. And we're going to combine the knowledge that we acquire from this current drilling program with the information that we get from the geophysical program to basically better understand where we should be putting the next round of drill holes. How are you capitalized for proceeding going forth in this arena? We've still got a healthy treasury. All of this work that we're currently doing is funded. We are going to be listing on the ASX relatively soon. We're just hoping to finalize prospectus documentation over the next week or so, and we'll be doing a subsequent capital raising for that. And that will really sort of bring in some new investors who we know from Australia who like to back a story and they like to continue to back a story. So we think that that will really sort of move things along in terms of share price. Well, I know that the ASX and individuals that uh, trade on the ASX in Australia and Asia are very, very interested and, and active, and they certainly, you would think, would jump on a project like this. We don't know for sure, but certainly that is the expectation. Absolutely. I mean, when you compare Salave to the majority of Australian gold projects, the grades here are so much higher. The intercepts are so much thicker. I think the Australian market is really looking for a project like this that they can dig their teeth into. And on a relative valuation perspective, uh, Black Dragon does not carry the same valuations as a lot of those Australian projects do. So we think there'll be a lot of investor interest. But you're quite right to point to Asia because Asia is really interested in gold at the moment. And I think there's probably an element of uncertainty around global geopolitics. And we're seeing the gold price tick up quite nicely. I, th- I can't remember the last time it exceeded 13.50 an ounce, but we're there at the moment. And I think gold prices are going to continue to appreciate gradually over the next few years. Well, Paul, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the program. We look forward to more results in a few weeks. Thanks very much, Alice. Nice talking to you too. I've been speaking with Paul Cronin, the CEO and Managing Director of Black Dragon Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BDG. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Do you have questions that need answers about our sponsor companies? Contact them. 
Find the logos of all our sponsors on the homepage of our website. Click on them and learn more about our client companies. EllisMartinReport.com I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. New Age Metals Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration, and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals, PGM deposit, the River Valley PGM project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects, of which three are drill ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. Harry, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having us on again, Ellen. If you don't mind, give our listeners a brief overview of the company. We have two divisions, New Age Metals. We have a platinum palladium division, and we have a lithium division. And we're proud to say we have North America's largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit, less than 62 road miles from the major metallurgical complex in Canada, Sudbury, Ontario. The reason why we're talking today, Harry, of course, is that whenever you have significant news, it's worth bringing to the attention of our audience, your shareholders and potential shareholders. I'm looking at a news release now that came out on April 11th, but when I dive into this news release and try to comprehend it, I'm lost, and I'm afraid most of our listeners would be as well. So what I'm asking you, kind sir, is to break it down and explain it so that we can understand it. No, and and you know, it's a great point, Ellis. I struggled writing this press release with my president because it is technical. One of the key points, you know, in this whole exploration business is you've got to find a deposit, which we now have. It should be in a great location, which luckily we can drive a brand new car to our site right beside a major metallurgical complex that can take our concentrates. But can you recover the ore? Can you actually get the minerals in your deposit out on an economical basis? And Part of the reason this is a little bit dry is it's hard to explain the metallurgical kind of concept behind recovery of these minerals. So to make a long story short, we have done millions of dollars of work on this project in terms of recovery and metallurgy work. Some of it was done in South Africa, which at this point cannot be used under our new regulatory laws. You can use the reports and anyone can look at it, but they're not now compliant. In 2014, Ellis, we went back and did a major restudy of the metallurgy, and it came out very, very well, and the listeners can probably go onto our website and, and check that out. What we've done recently with this company, XPS, is we are looking down to the just the microfiber, the microns, of our rock that has the platinum group metals in it. And because technology changes so much, we have done a study to look at, can we get even one or two or 3% more in terms of recovery out of these platinum group metals that we can concentrate right in Sudbury? The beauty of that company is owned 100% by another company. And right now we have nothing to do with that company, but someday we might. That company is called Glencore, one of the biggest mining companies in the world. And the beauty of Sudbury 
Missouri is it has two big producers there. One's called Valinco and one's called Glencore. And each of these companies could take our concentrate somewhere down the road should we make a contract with them. And we can ship these concentrates less than 62 road miles to those facilities and either one of them could take out our product. So what I'm trying to say very quickly here is the study we just did that we spent a lot of time on Munsign has come out very good again and basically is helping us through new technology look at the exact type of recovery methods that are used right in the same metallurgical complex we're at. That's the quick story on what we're trying to say there. So as an investor, I have to ask you this question. Is it economic? Well, and that's the challenge. In today's environment, in terms of security laws and whatever, I couldn't even say that today. One of the things we're going to work to, basically our plan is to do our best efforts to get it done before the first quarter of 2019. The first economic complete study on this thing, just a few years ago, Ellis, they brought in a word called preliminary economic assessment. That replaces the name scoping study that you and I kind of grew up with, right? So the three key things in a project at just before it goes to production or as you do a scoping study, we now call it a preliminary economic assessment. And that's our stated objective will be to get that done before the end of the first quarter of 2019. That replaces the old word scoping study. The next preliminary economic assessment is the scoping study. And then there's a pre-feasibility and a feasibility. So the first time I can tell you it's economic is when we have that study done. But just know behind the scenes, we have very professional people in our company and we wouldn't be moving towards that study if we didn't think there was an excellent chance that that could be. But today, I can't tell you legally that it's economic, but we are working towards it. Fair enough, Harry. Thank you for your answer. Is this the first round of metallurgy? When can we expect more? Well, again, we've done millions of dollars in metallurgy. The last big test was done in 14 and it came out very good. We made an announcement on that. This is a very specific metallurgy and it's studying really down to the micrograin of the rock that we're trying to take out and basically there will be more study. We won't need one for the PEA that will be done by the end of the first quarter, but when you probably get to pre-feasibility and feasibility, there may be some more studies. All right, now what is the general exploration plan going forward? Well, going forward this year, we have been working in the northern portion of the property as some of the listers are just coming in today. We just put out a, a major new resource in the property. You know, it was covered in the last program. But we're focusing on the northern portion of the property where you can drive the car right into and we will hope to build a series of open pit mines over a 16-kilometer area, which is about eight or nine miles. We own it all 100%, and we hope to start in the northern portion and progressively move a series of open pits down throughout that. We're focusing on the northern portion this summer, and here's what we're going to do there. We've just updated the 43101, and the big report, about 140 or 50 pages, will be on CDAR, which means any lister can dive into that and actually read that report in about a week or two. Based on more information that's coming out of that, we will be working towards a drill program that is slated to be in the summer, fall of 218 and 219. And it will drill into specific areas that will help us redefine and completely define where the open pits would start. All of this work is towards the preliminary economic assessment, which is our next big milestone, the new name for the old scoping study that will be done by the end of the first quarter of 219. So those are some of the things we're doing. And again, our overall mandate is to build a series of open pits bulk mining, get the concentrates on site, and ship them to the Sudbury Metallurgical Complex about 62 miles away. 
Well, I guess the size of the land package makes a variety of grades more attractive when you're talking about open pit and infrastructure, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they can use the word lower grade. It is. But in today's terms, bulk mining, open pit, you don't need to have a high, high grade for that. You're moving a lot of tonnage, Ellis, very fast out of a pit every day. You're going to concentrate on site, and it's just those concentrates that we would ship to Sudbury. So we're not shipping 10,000 tons a day to Sudbury. We'd only be shipping a few thousand tons. So this allows you to build uh, not a complete mine facility. The back end of our mine facility is sitting 62 road miles down the road, and we can work with one or two major corporations to take those concentrates. We know that because there's only one primary producer in Canada at this time of platinum group metals, palladium primarily, just like us. It's called North American Palladium, and they've shipped their concentrates for over 20 years, and they still are today, from the open pit facility they had near Thunder Bay, over 1,000 kilometers, over 600 road miles, to Sudbury, and they work with one or two of these companies that I was telling you about who can take their concentrates. Oh, interesting. So it's a similar business model, essentially. It is a similar, and it's the only producer. So they're the only primary producer of PGMs, and what that means is their most important credits of their metals are palladium, platinum, and then they go on like we do, and they have copper, nickel. We have a strong component of cobalt in our last study, which a lot of people don't know, which is another green metal, right? But we have copper, nickel, but the most important two metals are palladium first, platinum second. Then we have gold. We've got copper, nickel, but we also have cobalt too, and we have rhodium. So we have quite a few metals, but the other company I was telling you about, the producer, is the same. So they're the only primary producer. North American Palladium is the only primary producer of palladium, platinum, in Canada right now. We, could, we are the next undeveloped primary project and could be the next producer, again, primary producer of palladium in Canada. Does this mean that you intend on becoming a producer? Well, we're a junior mining exploration company, and if you look at our board of directors, I would challenge almost anyone to say who's got a better exploration team. We have some of the finest minds in the industry that are on my boards or advisory boards, and our president has spent his whole career in Platinum Group Metals. But we are not a producer. We will build up this deposit, and we will bring in a major partner to help us take it all the way. The beauty is it's not like we own 40% of this. We own 100% now. So somewhere in the next year to 18 months, I think you'll find us with a partner who will help us take this project all the way. Okay, fair enough. I was listening to your interview with my co-host, Troy Duran. I know you have a project history in Alaska in the past, but with all that you have on your plate in Ontario, why Alaska again now? Alaska, to me, is one of the last great places in the world. We have a body that does a survey every year called the Fraser Institute, and they look at where are the best places to go mining in the world, and Alaska pops up in the top 10 every year. It's a state I can probably say I've worked in directly and indirectly since 1985. Why am I going to Alaska? I have a long-term relationship with a gentleman called Kurt Freeman. He owns a private company called Avalon Development. In my mind, I call him, for your listeners that understand hockey, I call him the Wayne Gretzky of Mineral Exploration of Alaska. He's one of the top consultants up there. And a week or so ago, we announced that we signed a two-year binding agreement with him to be able to look at his database, of, and it's extensive. He's been a top consultant in that date since 1985, of platinum group metals 
and rare earths and related rare metals. And we have that uh, agreement. And I think you'll see sometime in the very near future we will acquire our first property in Alaska. I'll give you an example in the gold for people who think in gold. In Alaska in the last 15 years, they've discovered 200 million new ounces of gold. Virtually no one is looking for platinum group metals up there unless it's a byproduct to some of their nickel and copper. So we're going to be that company that's going to focus in the great state of Alaska where you can do work, where I have a top consulting firm. I have their database now tied up in agreement. We will have Kurt do our work. He's one of the top consultancy companies in the state. So you're moving forward with a great deal of intent and energy on exploration in Alaska. Yes, we are. And we're going to use the same model we did with our lithium division. Everyone says, well, what's your focus area? Our primary focus is on that big project we talked about, the River Valley PGM project. Having said that, we built a lithium division in the last two years, and we told our shareholders that we would go out and find a good partner to come in and spend the money on that project. So we call ourselves a project generator. We go out, almost like the old prospector, but through using a public company and shares, and we find a good project. We bring in a partner, and we use their money to help us develop that project. For that, we have them put money in the ground. In the case of the lithium division, we're getting up to 3 million shares. We didn't have a royalty on these properties. We added a 2% royalty. We became the field manager. We get 10% for that. And we have a commitment of almost $4 million over four years. But most importantly on that lithium deal, we have the right to back in for 40% in the event we make a major discovery. And the most important thing is we're doing all the work. So the same thing would hold true in Alaska. When we find the first PGM project, we're going to spend a little bit of our money and we'll give some shares and for the acquisition in that, but we're going to try and find a partner right away to come in and be our partner there. So now you can picture this, Alice. We're funding our own way right now on the big PGM deposit we have, River Valley. We've got someone else paying for our own lithium division. There's a lot of news going to come out this year on it and we'll be drilling into two old deposits. And now, hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll acquire a new Alaskan property and repeat the same project generator model that we use where we use other people's money to come in and build up that deposit. Okay, so your focus is basically green tech, clean tech, energy, battery metals. What are you going to do when you find gold in Alaska? Will you keep it in New Age Metals? Will you spin it out because you're bound to find it? Yeah, what will happen in a lot of these projects, most of the platinum group metals, Ellis, come from South Africa and Russia. It's very uncommon to find platinum group metals in North America. Having said that, in the great state of Montana is one of the richest and best mines in the world, owned by now a company called Sabanye Stillwater. It used to be called Stillwater. Right? So there it is, the only primary producer of palladium in the United States is in Montana. It's an unbelievable mine with about 100 years of production ahead. What would happen if we went to the state of Alaska when there's virtually no exploration going on for PGMs and we were one of the first companies to find something major up there in PGMs? We know they're finding huge copper projects. We know they're finding unbelievable amounts of gold. Will there be some gold credits in what we're looking for in our platinum group metals? Probably. We'll find hopefully a deposit that has mostly PGMs, but it'll have byproducts of gold and silver and base metals, etc., right? But hopefully we can find a primary PGM one where that metal is more important than the other four or five. Well, I guess that just brings the price of production down hypothetically, right? It's nice to have a suite of minerals, okay? Because 
each one of them. For example, go back to River Valley. I won't be able to quote the number right off the top of my head, but in the last 43-101 we did, we have a huge amount of dollars in worth in that study we did, in the one that we announced the many millions of new ounces, and it's in cobalt. People don't even think of us as a cobalt. As you know, you probably interview other cobalt companies. That's been a very hot ticket in the last few months, right? Because the price has gone from nowhere to the moon on cobalt alone. Let's talk about your management team. They're very sharp, especially Trevor Richardson. I'm proud to work with the team I work with, Ellis. I mean, I'll talk about Trevor second, oh, not that he shouldn't be first. I first want to talk about my board. I've got a board that when your listeners can go to our website and look at, you'll see that we're very, very experienced. In fact, I'm one of the only non-technical people in the group, and I've been at it since I was 23. But we have engineers and geologists with 40 years plus experience, and many of them understand these very difficult platinum group metals number one. Number two, Trevor Richardson at only 43 or 4, I should know his exact age, but is a young geologist in the sense that the average Canadian geologist today is 65, but he spent his whole career of 20-some years in platinum metals, mostly in South Africa working for the largest company in the world as a contractor too. Between him and I, we've known that group forever. They're called Anglo Platinum, and now we have some of their ex-top guys on our boards. So engineers, geologists, very technical people, very experienced people. And, you know, I also got to give credit to our corporate secretary, our CFO, and, you know, the people behind the scenes that keep a public company running, our corporate development, etc. Tell us about your market cap and share structure. Well, the market cap, we have about 73 plus million shares out. We're trading around the 9 to 10 cent range Canadian. So we have a market cap in the 7.5 to 8 million share Canadian range. Harry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thanks for having us again, Ellis. I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. For more information, go to the company's website, newagemetals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. High-quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Michael Schlumberger, the CEO and Managing Director of American Pacific Borate and Lithium, trading on the Australian Stock Exchange with the ASX as ABR. American Pacific plans on producing borate and lithium from their Fort Katy project in California's Mojave Desert for both existing and new high-end technologies that need these rare materials. Mr. Schlumberger is a qualified mining engineer with over 30 years experience in industrial minerals. His background includes management operations and maintenance in all aspects of mining, processing, reclamation, and permitting. He has held senior roles with Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, Passport Potash, and Highfield Resources working in the United States, Canada, and Europe. Since Fort Katy is just a few hours from our home base here in Los Angeles, I had a chance to visit the project just a few months ago, easily accessible by road. Mike, welcome to the program. Good day. It's good to be here today. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. American Pacific Borate Lithium was IPO'd last year. We purchased the project from the owners and listed initially on the Australian Stock Exchange at the end of July. This is a unique project in that it is a borate project. 
and we are looking at the additions to the project. Part of those additions include the potential for lithium as well as SOP, sulfate of potash production, on the facility as it's a complementary process. The great thing about this project is that the technology risk is very low. The capex is low by comparison to many mining projects. It's got good returns on it. And one of the things that is very encouraging about this project is that $50 million has been spent on the project to date, which allows us to very quickly move into construction and then production. So a lot of the risks have been removed compared to many other projects. As you know, I've been out to the project. It's about two and a half, three hours or so from Los Angeles. I was able to drive a two-wheel drive vehicle right to the project. It looks at face value to the casual observer that the project is underway and you've headed into production. Of course, that's not happening just yet, but the project is impressive to see. Well, exactly so. As I indicated, quite a bit of money has already been spent on this. So when we came into the project, we're trying to very quickly move this forward. And one of the first things we did is we had a historic jork resource and we brought in drill rigs immediately after the IPO. So we IPO'd at the end of July, and by the end of August, beginning of September, we had drill rigs out on site. We were able to drill out the deposit before the end of last year, and then prior, in 2017, we released a maiden jork resource, and then after the assays were completed, we were able to, after the first of the year, put out a a JORC-compliant resource. The JORC mineral resource that was released after the first of the year indicates that we have 120 million tons at 6.5% B2O3, which is equivalent to 11.6% boric acid. There's also 340 parts per million of lithium within the ore body. You took me into the core shack, and of course I know most of that is recent. Or are we looking at historic core samples as well? Unfortunately, we did not have the historic core samples. Everything that was out there was recent within that core shack. But yet that was quite extensive in my opinion. So we put in a total of 14 holes within the borate deposit. And again, over 30 holes have been put in historically. And so what we were able to do is we were able to very quickly bring this up to JORC compliant status. Now, Mike, why is borate so important? The borate market is an interesting market, and it is a duopoly based on there are two major producers. They include the Turks and Rio Tinto Borax. It's interesting because borates, there's a little bit in a lot of things. There are over 300 uses for borates. The largest portion of the borate is used in glass. It acts as a flux within the glass as well as that adds strength to some of the glass. It's used in fiberglass. It's used in textile fiberglass. It is used in solar panels. The front gorilla glass on your smartphone has borates in it. Of course, Pyrex, borosilicate glass, has borates in it. It is an insecticide. It is a fertilizer. It is a rot retardant. So there are little bits in many different things. It's used in frits and glazes for ceramics. So the space shuttle, for example, would have ceramics with borates in them. So there's use for offtake right away, correct? That is correct. We are targeting initially a 90,000 ton a year operation. And if you look at the boric acid equivalent, we're 4 million tons a year of boric acid equivalent. And looking at the growth, the 90,000 tons is just a very small portion of that, less than six months growth in the market. From what I understand, the pilot plant is ready to go and you'll be producing bulk samples in short order. We are getting ready for our bulk sampling. We've installed a test well 
and the test well, we will pull some bulk samples off that. After those bulk samples have been pulled, they'll be sent out to manufacturers. Our process is fairly straightforward and fairly simple. There's not a lot of technology risk associated with the process. So what we'll do is we'll take that bulk sample and we'll send it out to crystallizers, folks who make crystallizers, and they will produce product for us and show us what the size of the equipment is. We'll be then able to estimate and further to refine our CapEx numbers as well as obtain samples that we can use for marketing purposes and show everyone that the grades are there and the purity is what we expect it to be. At what point do you begin to generate revenue? After construction, so that would be a couple years down the road. Tell us the history of the project at Fort Katy. Why this particular area? The borate deposits are associated with closed basins as well as volcanic activity. It also has to be arid, so it is a rather unique area. And these places don't occur very often across the world, and the number of borate deposits across the world are very limited. Of course, there are some in Turkey, as, as previously indicated. There are some up by Rio Tinto Borax in Boron, California. There is some in, in an ancient Salar in Trona, California. There are some historic workings in Death Valley, which are now closed as part of the Death Valley Park. And there are a few in South America, too. So the borate deposits are, are fairly rare. You have an extensive background in the mining and potash space, Mike. I was speaking with Rick Rule recently, and he said that phosphates and potash are certainly a space to watch as concerns about food supply and processing are growing. All of this is in your proverbial wheelhouse, as they say. Let's talk about your background and why the board selected you to run this company. Absolutely. So I had the good fortune of spending 21 years with Potash Corp. And within Potash Corp, I have experience in all three primary nutrients, nitrogen, phosphate, and potash. After my time with Potash Corp, I went to work for a project in Arizona and then went to Spain to work for Highfield Resources. At Highfield Resources, I took that from pre-feasibility to ready for construction, and then they were waiting on permits. So at that point in time, I came back to the States, and this project came up, and was able to step into this role. As you indicated, this ties in very well. Boron is a micronutrient, and it ties in very well with the fertilizer space. I ran the largest underground mine for Potash Corp and did the expansion there, have experience within chemical plants as well as with mines, and it ties in very well with this project. Why aren't we calling the company American Pacific Borate and Potash then? There is no potash with the project. We are, however, looking at the possibility of producing sulfate of potash. Within the sulfate of potash market, sulfate of potash is a specialty fertilizer compared to normal potash that is sold, which is murate of potash. Sulfate of potash can be produced by the Mannheim process. The Mannheim process, the problem with that across the world is that you produce some byproducts that you need to find a market for. We have a captive market for those byproducts within our facility. Let's discuss the lithium aspect of your business. So we know that there is lithium within the ore body. We also know that we're able to extract the lithium. We did a, several pieces of work with Saskatchewan Research Council out of Saskatchewan, and they have showed us that we can get extraction of around 50%. The 
part that we are now looking at is what we can do to upgrade and purify that. While we can extract it, we want to look at the purification, ensure that we can meet grades and that the economics exist for that. At this point in time, we are focusing on the borate to bring that quickly into fruition and moving that part of the project forward. We know that this is a borate project and the potential for lithium is there. Our focus right now is largely on that borate space, but we do continue to advance the lithium work as we move forward as well. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the management team. The other executive that is currently working with us is Anthony Hall, and he is an executive director. Anthony was involved with the start of Highfield Resources in Spain. He grew that company from $10 million to $500 million market cap and raised over $140 million in order to progress that project. Mike, it certainly is a pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to more conversations in the coming weeks and months. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you very much for your time. I look forward to speaking with you as well. I've been speaking with Mike Schlumberger, the CEO and Managing Director of American Borate and Lithium, trading on the ASX as ABR. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, and find American Pacific Borate and Lithium at americanpacificborate.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.V and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 9,500-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices, hybrid electric vehicles, and power storage. Pure Energy Minerals announced that the company had entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. Today, Mr. Highsmith joins me from the Mines and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong, where he's presenting on behalf of Pure Energy Minerals. Patrick, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. Good to be here. We're both sitting here in Hong Kong right now at a very important conference. What motivated you to make the trip and bring Pure Energy out here? Well, Ellis, I have to give you a plug. It was you, wasn't it? We spoke about it, I guess, back in the fall. It was at the Cathodes Conference. We spoke about Mines and Money Asia. Of course, I've been to Mines and Money over the years, London. I think I've been once here in Hong Kong. And frankly, we're spending a lot of time in Asia right now, too. So it was just a great synergy with other visits up and down the lithium battery supply chain here in Asia. One of the things we were talking about back in October at the Cathode Conference was battery composition. We weren't actually talking about it, but the VP of BASF was, and how it's changing. And you've been finding out that it's changing far sooner. Prototypes are already in place, and production is rolling on new battery chemistry. You know, lithium batteries are changing fast, and I'm impressed with real companies doing real things in this area. So often in our business, Ellis, we get involved with things that are exciting and maybe on the cutting edge, but maybe not so real. And in the case of lithium batteries and electric vehicles, if I needed any more evidence, this trip to Asia has provided that evidence. Real new battery technology is rolling down the pike. It's full of lithium, and EVs are on their way. So now the carbon footprint is almost equitable with regard to comparing battery chemistry and lithium, cobalt, nickel, graphite, that sort of thing, to petrol. 
We heard last year from Benchmark Mineral Intelligence that the total cost of ownership is also reaching parity in some markets between EVs and hydrocarbon vehicles, Ellis, and that, of course, will drive consumers more to EVs because it makes sense economically, and, of course, we know it makes sense environmentally. Putting lithium batteries in these cars is a zero-emission vehicle, is a net positive for the environment, and it's great to be part of that cleaner and greener supply chain. I was part of a one-belt, one-road panel yesterday, not really in the panel, but in the audience asking some questions. And and what I heard overall, even though we were talking about China's one belt, one road, it's more or less a a virtual one belt global situation is the demand for lithium is paramount to the Chinese. They are looking, they are wanting to make acquisitions, they're wanting offtake deals, and it's insane. I would say that the lithium market right now has two major macro topics that we're talking about. One is the aggressive plays of the Chinese further and further up the supply chain, even investing in projects that don't appear to make sense yet economically, such as direct shipping of ore from some projects around the world. That's a high-risk move. And secondly, the macro space with respect to supply. We heard from Morgan Stanley that they project prices to start dropping quickly as a huge flood of new supply comes on the market. And uh, we're a little skeptical, but we do know the demand is strong. That much is sure. When you're talking about a project in Nevada, such as the Clayton Valley South project, offtake China, how does that connect? We've got desert a long way from China. Well, at Clayton Valley, our project there, the thing is we go directly to lithium hydroxide on the Solar. So ultimately, if this new technology works, we won't have to ship to China to convert. We won't have to ship to North Carolina to convert. But we'll make battery-grade hydroxide three hours from the Gigafactory and three hours from I-80. And of course, from I-80, it's just a couple of hours over to the Port of Oakland. So for something so high value and so specialized to go directly to hydroxide close to good old U.S. infrastructure and ports, um, we don't think there's a concern shipping our product anywhere in the world. And certainly meeting with potential off-takers here in Asia, we've had plenty of meetings and plenty of enthusiasm. You mentioned Tesla and the nearby Gigafactory. That's not the only game in town now, is it? We've seen, I think, now 26 so-called mega factories, we call them, so we don't infringe on any trademarks. I think Benchmark is tracking about 26 of these mega factories around the world. And some, if followed through upon, like CATL, would almost triple the size of Tesla's gigafactories. So the dreams are big, and I would say I'm feeling the reality after spending a couple of weeks now here in Asia. How has it changed your thinking, if at all, with regard to you being the CEO of Pure Energy? I guess these meetings where I'm meeting with real engineers and PhDs and manufacturing people at the cathode and battery level here in Asia and elsewhere makes me realize that the product we're exploring for and developing is desperately needed. And the best part is all these new cathode technologies, different NMC, nickel manganese cobalt cathodes or NCA, nickel cobalt aluminum cathodes, guess what? They all use a lot of lithium. So it feels like it's the right commodity at the right time. And for me, I'm getting some gray hairs. It's a long time in coming, Ellis. You'll remember I started in the lithium business in 2009. Now we've heard some talk about, again, heading back to the beginning of this interview, battery chemistry, and perhaps cobalt will be mitigated just a bit. It's not going away as the demand increases. Are we seeing an increase in battery chemistry with lithium? I've had my eyes opened of late. I have sat with folks who've shown us lithium battery technologies that we thought were still on the drawing board. And I can tell you that those of us, even a little bit on the inside of the business, we attend these conferences like the Cathodes Conference. We hear about what's going on. Things are moving faster than we think. And innovation is just rampant in the space. I would say it isn't just about driving down the need for cobalt to make sure we've got 
responsible cobalt going into the products. I'm sure the battery makers and the EV makers are thinking about that. But performance, performance, performance. And we're seeing cathodes that are being innovated at a rate that we had not anticipated. And I think that we're going to see that precious 500-mile range in an EV not that far away. And that sure is going to open consumer eyes. I'm smiling because I don't own one vehicle that gets gas mileage over 15 miles per gallon. But moving on, tell us about what's happening in Argentina with Terracotta. Well, we've got a drill down there that's just wrapping up, I think, our second hole. Early stages on the project, to be sure, but the geology looks great, and we should have results out in a few weeks from those first holes. And it kind of harkens back to being a geologist again, as you interpret that data and you, you make decisions about the next drilling on a new project. While in my sort of main job on Clayton Valley, every day is full of engineering decisions and design drawings for a pilot plant. And of course, that's nearing the final stages. We'll have our design finalized on the pilot plant here in May. So things are moving fast in Clayton Valley, if behind the scenes a little bit. Well, Patrick, it's always a pleasure to see you wherever we're at in the world, this time in Hong Kong. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you. Great to see you halfway around the world here, Ellis. Thank you. Today, Patrick joined me from the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. I've been visiting with Patrick Highsmith of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy Minerals trades as PEMIF in the U.S. and as PE on the TSX Venture Exchange. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Pure Energy Minerals. This Corporate Profile Minute is brought to you by New Age Metals, a company with two exciting green metal divisions. New Age Metals owns 100% of Canada's largest undeveloped primary platinum group metals deposit. A new NI43-101 puts the total resource estimate at just over 4.6 million palladium equivalent ounces, measured and indicated, with 2.7 million ounces inferred. Chairman and CEO Harry Barr stated, To date, approximately $40 million have been expended, and the project is a long way from being drilled out. New Age Metals is also one of the largest mineral claim holders for lithium in the Winnipeg River pegmatite field in Manitoba. New Age Metals could become a key future source of much-needed lithium, cobalt, and platinum group metals. This Corporate Profile Minute has been brought to you by New Age Metals, trading symbol NAM in Canada and NMTLF in the U.S. Web address, newagemetals.com. The proceeding may contain forward-looking statements which may not be realized. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.